name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In my office, there's a photograph on the wall. It's a photograph of a church in a field. And the church is a white-walled church with red domes. And I acquired this, it's a large photograph, almost a poster size. I acquired this when I was in Las Vegas. It just somehow appeared at the church. It was a beautiful picture of a church and no one seemed to want it, so I took it and put it on my wall. And it's a church, the Church of the Holy Apostles in Capernaum. And I said, God willing, someday I'll go to that church. And so a few weeks ago, I did go to that church. And this church is in what is ancient Capernaum, which is no longer a city, just fields and trees. And it's right on the Sea of Galilee. And the church uh, is beautiful on the inside. There's a monk, Father Irenarchos, who's been there for more than 20 years. And he has overseen the uh, re-adorning of this church, this old church. So everywhere inside the walls of the church are icons on every single surface. And there are icons of the things that happened in Capernaum and around there, icons of Peter's mother-in-law being healed, of the blind men being healed, of the leper, of the ruler's daughter, of the demon-possessed man, all of these different miracles along all the walls. And then we hear the story of the centurion today, which is also there on the walls of that church. Father Irenarchos has been there for, again, as I mentioned, more than 20 years. And his work on the church has completely revitalized this beautiful church, which is right on the site, built upon ancient Capernaum. Next to that site, next uh, under the Patriarch of Jerusalem, is another property right next door. And on that property... We drove over there, and there's a huge parking lot. There are lots of buses. There were people streaming in and out. There was a sign right on the front that said, Capernaum, the hometown of Jesus. And all these people coming in. And you go into that site, and you find all these excavated remains of the buildings. You find an old synagogue from the early centuries, not quite Christ's time, and all of the outlines of what's left of these buildings. And in the middle of that area, you see this flying saucer-looking sort of building floating, hovering above some of the ancient ruins. And right in the center of that is what is known to be Peter's house, St. Peter's house. I mention all of that site because there are many places that I went in the Holy Land that had become archaeological novelties. And here there's this beautiful church with all the icons describing all of the events of Christ's life in that area. And right under it are archaeological remains that could be dug up. And we could look and we could see all these walls of these houses that were 2,000 years old. And so it was quite a contrast. This other site was run by the Franciscan brothers. They actually had a monastery there. But there were so many people streaming in and out, I imagined it would be very hard to live a monastic life in such a place. And the flying saucer that I mentioned is a very modern-looking church that was built literally hovering over with these pillars over this ancient house of Peter. And how do we know that it's the house of St. Peter? Because there's an octagonal remains there, and this is what we saw everywhere in the Holy Land. Whenever you see an octagon of a building, 
That means there was an Orthodox church there once. Our guide said that there were so many Orthodox churches in the Byzantine era that when they rang the bells at the Holy Fire in Jerusalem, that caused bells to be rung in the, the churches that were in hearing distance, and on and on and on, and bells were rung all the way to Constantinople. This is how many churches there were in the Holy Land. And many of them are just these octagonal remains that are around. So I wanted to tell a little bit about the, the area of Capernaum, because I think of this contrast between these two ways of practicing faith, you could imagine. There's this one that wants to study it and analyze it and look at it through a very historical perspective. And then there's this other way, which is the living, breathing faith, which is that way of connecting the past with the now through worship. Because every time that a liturgy is served in this holy place, it draws us back to the very time of Christ. And yet it's within this new, relatively new, beautiful, beautifully adorned church. There's a story of faith in the Gospels today, so that's why this theme of faith is here. We hear these words from Christ, not even in Israel have I found such faith as in this centurion man. So we see this example of this profound faith of this man. If you read the Gospel just briefly, you might say, well, certainly his faith is because he says, Jesus doesn't even need to come to my house. Just Jesus' words will do it. That's the lesson that we learn from that. But this centurion's faith is much deeper than that. It's not simply that he said, no, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. But rather, his faith is the belief that everything, everything that happens is within the loving providence of God. So whether his servant is healed or not is not the point. He's saying, I know that you have the power to heal my servant. And if you don't heal my servant, I know that that's within your loving providence. This is the, the subtext of the gospel. Because you see, faith is not when we believe that God can do what we desire. But faith, rather, is when we hold fast to the belief that God will work good through all things. Through all things whether it's through the good that he inaugurates in our life or whether it's despite the evil that persists in the world because of the devil, because of our participation with the devil. Faith is when we believe that everything, in the words of St. Paul, everything works to good. All things work to good. That doesn't mean all things are good by any means, but it means that God is able to work above and beyond and even through these things towards good. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, just a little bit further from where we read today, we read about the apostles being on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus being on the boat with them. And the sea became stormy. And the people, the, the apostles were afraid for their lives and they said, we're perishing, save us. And then immediately Christ woke up, calmed the seas in an instant. And what did he say to them? Oligopisti. Oh, you of little faith. Why were they of little faith? Because in their moment of fear and of desperation, they thought this situation is outside the work of God. This situation is something that is too big. And 
how often we experience this in our lives. A situation is too big or too tragic or too difficult. And so our faith wavers because what we, we are doing in our minds is saying this is outside of where God is working. And so the strong faith that we learn from the centurion is that faith that says everything, everything is under the providence of God. It does not mean that God causes evil in any way, shape, or form. God cries with our tragedies. But it means that God will still work good despite those things. Faith is when we believe in the words of St. Paul, once again, that all things work to good. This is what St. John Chrysostom said of these faithful people, these examples in the Bible. He says, The righteous ones of old did not inquire into how and when and in what matter, manner the promises would come to pass. And when they perceived everything to be in a desperate state according to human reckoning, they were not thrown into confusion, nor were they troubled. Rather, they endured everything with nobility, having the power of him who made the promises as a great proof of the good things to come. And in the face of adverse events, they did not fall into despair, for they knew clearly that since God is inventive and wise, after things have been despaired of, they could be restored to a state better than before, and the things that had been promised could be brought to fulfillment with great ease. This reminds me of St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews where he talks about through faith, Moses, this and that. Through faith, Abraham, this. Through faith, Joshua. Through faith, again and again and again. And the culmination of all of that is, he says, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And then we hear the good things who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight armies of aliens, whom women received the dead, raised to life again. But it's not just the good things that they had faith about, because then there's the second half. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And all these obtained a good testimony through faith. That's what St. John Chrysostom is saying. St. John is saying that no matter whether the thing is good or the thing is bad, it is something that God will work through and in. And St. John Chrysostom continues saying, Therefore, beloved one, you too, if your afflictions come to an end in this present life, glorify God. However, if your life ends in difficulties, even then be thankful and do not be scandalized, recognizing clearly the infinite providence of God which cannot be explained. And knowing that everything will see its appropriate end, whether in the present life or in the life to come. Why is this the case? Why is this the case? Because God loves us so much. He loves us so very much and all that he wants for us is the good. That's the only thing that he wants for us. 
and yet he works within the context of the freedom that he has given us, a freedom in which horror and tragedy and pain and struggle also exist. But all that he wants for us is the good. And so he's constantly striving towards the good, towards the expansion of his love and his grace and his joy in our lives. Always this is what he's working towards. And this is why St. Paul says, all things work to good. Because that is the goal of our loving Lord. This is what we say so many times in the service that perhaps all of you have become numb to it. For you are loving and merciful God. Who, God who loves mankind. For you are loving, merciful, kind, and slow to anger. Again and again in the services. Philanthropos, again, the one who loves mankind. All through the services, we hear about God's love again and again and again, so much so that we might forget it. We might just skim right over it if we don't realize. All things work to good. I'll finish with this quote from St. Porphyrios, a recent saint who echoes what St. John Chrysostom so many centuries ago said, God is love. He is not a simple spectator in our life. He provides and cares for us as our Father, but he also respects our freedom. He does not pressure us. We should have our hope in God's providence, and since we believe that God is watching over us, we should take courage and throw ourselves into his love, and then we will see him constantly beside us. We will not be afraid that we will make a false step. All things are under God's providence, how many pine needles has each pine tree? Can you count them? God, however, knows them, and without his will, not one falls to the ground. Just as with the hairs of our head, they are all numbered. He provides for the smallest details of our life. He loves us and protects us. We live as if we were completely insensitive to the magnificence of God's providence. God is very withdrawn and mystical. We cannot comprehend his actions. And this is at the heart of what causes us so much turmoil, is trying to comprehend his actions. We can't comprehend his actions. And so we fall back on the words of the liturgy, on the words of the prayers, knowing that God loves us and that everything that he does for us is for his expansion of the good and the joyful in our life. And to him be glory. Amen.